We're talking today about uh, extravagant praise. That's the sermon title for today. If you would pull that up for me, please. And um, maybe it's not there. I don't know. There it is. Okay, extravagant praise. And you notice part two. Last Sunday, we dealt with the same topic. But we dealt with it from the uh, Old Testament. I would just like to share one of those passages with you as we transition this morning to the New Testament. There was a time when King David, having a great desire in his heart to recover the Ark of the Covenant and bring it back to the tabernacle where it belonged, he went out and made this, um, put a plan together to bring the Ark back. And about the time they got started good, there was a tragedy because they weren't doing it the way that God had ordained the ark be moved. It's a very sacred thing, uh, something that wasn't to be handle, handled just anyway. And as they started bringing it back, the Bible tells us that the, the oxen stumbled and the cart tipped. And a man named Uzzah reached out to steady the ark and touched it. And when he did, he died. The Lord took him. And then, of course, David was heartbroken. He couldn't find, he couldn't understand what was wrong, what, what happened. And he waited about three months. And then after that period of time, he heard that the people who now had the ark were being blessed. And he thought, we have got to get the ark and bring it back. And then he began now to do some research and to do things God's way and understand that there was, there was some protocol, there was some, some things that needed to be done a certain way before the ark could be moved. And so the Bible tells us that when they had taken six paces, I love that. They took six steps bringing it back and nothing bad happened. And then the Bible says that David began to dance with all of his heart and whirl and play music. And as you examine a couple of those passages that are concurrent, you'll find out that that the Bible says that David had his robe on. He was the king. But somehow in that transition, he took that robe off. And he began to, just like everybody else in plain old clothes, he just began to, to uh, dance before the Lord and play music. Well, his wife, who was not a, a, a godly woman, his wife looked at her husband as he was coming down into the city and she was angry at how he was acting. He had taken his robe off. He was not being dignified. He was whirling and dancing and playing music like everybody else was. And she said, well, you sure showed yourself today, didn't you? I'm paraphrasing. You made a real fool of yourself in front of the people today. And David said, I was doing what I was doing for the Lord. And I'll do it again and even more. And let her know he was not ashamed of his God. So then we, we can understand from that example, if we didn't take another, that there are things that are acceptable to God, things that God even values and appreciates in worship, that some people don't. 
Some people may think it's exaggerated. It's over the top. Unnecessary. To do all that. But there are things that the Lord commands us in scriptures. And we've talked about those many times. Things like shout to the Lord. Clap your hands, O you people. Shouting to God with the voice of triumph. And sing aloud for joy. Don't be ashamed. Lots of different things that help us to understand that we're supposed to give it all we've got when we worship the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, David said. I'm going to tell you, he was a worshiper. And he knew how important it was. Anything you did, you need to give it all you've got as you worship the Lord. When you sing, sing like you mean it. When you clap your hands, don't patty cake, but clap your hands like you mean it. In other words, give God the very best that you've got. So now we're going to turn to the New Testament and look at several passages today. And I think as we do this, that we might understand some things about praise and this idea of exaggerated praise. Some people would think is exaggerated. See what the Bible has to say about that. There was in the Bible a woman with an alabaster box who went to where Jesus was and broke the box and poured the contents out on our Savior. If you are familiar with that passage of scripture, would you say amen? Amen. Most all of us have heard about that. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at the four gospels. All four gospels explain an event consistent with what I've just said to you. A woman with an alabaster box who poured it out on Jesus. Four gospels talk about that. But as we're going to see this morning, it was not all the same event they were talking about. So follow with me. You've got a color-coded sermon outline today. And I really really should have looked at this in color before we ran them off. I know it's a little difficult to read the green. But I'll, I'll help us out when we get to that. I'm not even going to read... The first three passages, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12. You can read that, but I've taken from those verses the information that I want and placed it on this sheet for you. In Matthew 26, the Bible tells us that this scene took place in Bethany. In fact, it was out at the house of Simon the leper. Now, Simon obviously had been healed of leprosy, or he wouldn't have been in his house inviting guests, but he's known as Simon the leper. So in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, there was a woman with an alabaster flask of very costly, fragrant oil. Now, alabaster is a, is a, like a soft rock. And they would hollow that out and fill it with this precious perfume and then seal it so that it could not evaporate because as we just read here, it was very costly, fragrant oil. If a pound of it or one container of it would cost the average annual 
salary of a worker in those days. Does that sound like to you it would be very costly oil? Let's just say, I don't know what the median income is. And I think I've read somewhere recently it was like $50,000 in the Raleigh area, something like that. So let's just say that that little flask of oil, very costly ointment, was $50,000. That's the average wage. Put it in our day, in our, in our economy, so we can understand it. So this lady took this costly ointment and poured it on his head. And then the Bible says that the disciples were indignant. They were furious. They were upset. They were passionately opposed to what they had just seen. And they said this... This ointment should have been sold for the poor and the money given to them. But Jesus' response to that was this. She did it for my burial. She did this as a memorial to me. And whenever this story is told from this day forward, it will be a memorial to her and the love and the act that she performed on me. If you look at Matthew chapter 26, and I'll turn there right quick. Matthew 26 verse 2 kind of helps us with the context where Jesus said, You know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And then we read this story about the anointing at Bethany. Now, if you'll, if you'll think with me now, and I am, I am challenging you this morning to think with me. I, I didn't put all this on the page in all these colors just to make it pretty. What we have to understand, first of all, is the context of this passage. The timing of this event was two days before the Passover. Jesus said that. That means within the next 48 hours, He's going to be crucified. And he knows that. And so here in this house, in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, this woman comes up, breaks open this flask of oil, and pours it on his head. The disciples are furious and begin to complain. But Jesus said, she did it for my burial, a memorial to me. And the timing is just a couple of days before Passover. In Mark 14, we read the same account in basically the same words. There's not a lot of differences. The event took place in Bethany. It took place in the house of Simon the leper. There was a woman with an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. That's one thing that's mentioned. It's named there what it is. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. And this passage says, some disciples were indignant. Some of them were upset. We get a little clarification. Not all of them necessarily, but some of them were highly irritated at what they had seen. They sold it. This should have been sold for the poor, they said. But Jesus said, again, she did it for my burial. 
And this will be a memorial to her from now on. And in Acts, excuse me, in Mark 14, verse 1, again, for context, the Bible says, after two days, it was the Passover. So we know for a fact that this happened right before Jesus was crucified. Just a couple, three days. We turn to John 12, and here we read the same event, but we read some different information. It begins by telling us that it was six days before Passover. Jesus came to Bethany. There they made him a supper. Lazarus was there. Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance, and Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, complained. And Jesus then makes the statement, she has kept this for the day of my burial. Now, I'm, I'm hoping to accomplish several things this morning by using this format that I'm using. Because a lot of times when people read scripture, they do, do it so hastily and so quickly, and they just read the surface without thinking through what it is they've read, and they make conclusions like this. See there, the Bible already has, has, um, contradicted itself. Because Matthew and Mark say it was two days before the Passover. And John 12 says it was six days before the Passover. May I suggest to you there is no contradiction there. Why? If you look at John chapter 12 verses 1 through 8. The Bible says six days before Passover Jesus came to Bethany. Now it doesn't say that the supper happened that night. It just says he came to Bethany. What he did the next three or four days, we don't know. At this point, I don't really care. It's just important to understand he came to Bethany. He had been there a few days and then he was invited to supper. One, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong one now. He was invited to supper. The Bible says there they made him a supper. The Bible doesn't say there they made him a supper six days before he got there. No, he got there six days before Passover, and then a certain amount of time passed, obviously, and then it was two days before Passover, they made him a supper, and I love this next three words, it says Lazarus was there. Think about that. What has happened to Lazarus? He has died... And been raised. I mean, he knew it. And everybody else knew it. He was so dead, after four days he was stinking. The Bible says. And Jesus called him forth out of the grave. And now, Lazarus sits here at this supper. I don't know about you, but I'd be interested in talking to that fellow. I would love to be able to sit there and... And ask some questions. What it feel like? I mean, come on, tell me. And understand what it was that had happened to him. So you have, he gets to Bethany six days before the Passover. And then at some point later, they made him a supper. And Lazarus was there. 
And it names the lady now who does this. Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, complained. Jesus said, she has kept this for the day of my burial. Now, I'll suggest to you that when you look at those three passages, there is no contradiction, only clarification if you read it carefully. Now, that's important. Because these people out here who don't believe the word of God is inspired, they will try to tell us, tell us that there are contradictions there. I see none whatsoever. And then, well, first of all, let's understand, did, did, um, whether it be all the disciples or just a few of the disciples or just Judas, basically, did somebody think that what this woman had done was extravagant? Did they? Absolutely they did. They thought this was so outrageous. Whether it was Judas and one disciple or Jesus and two disciples, but not really all the disciples. It never said that. It just said disciples. That'd be plural. So we don't know how many of them got enraged by what was happening, but we know there was that discussion. So some of them felt like this was an extravagant act to literally break this bottle open worth a year's wages and pour it on the head and the feet of Jesus. Incidentally, if you open up a bottle of that and pour it on somebody's head, I about promise you some of it's going to end up on your feet. Right? And probably intentionally so in this case, as we read. Now, this goes with what we were saying last week. When it comes to worshiping God... With all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. There may be times when you might see somebody do something that you think is over the top. Maybe it's extravagant. But I want us to understand that when Jesus looked at what was happening in this scenario, he didn't see it as extravagant at all. He didn't see it as out of place, out of order. As a matter of fact, he said, this woman has done a good thing. And this will be as a memorial to her from now on when people talk about it. It will show how she loved and how she cared the Savior who was about to be crucified. Well, let's move to Luke. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn with me there because I'm going to read this one. But before I do, I'd like to share with you just a little bit of history for the sake of context. We started out by recognizing there was a time when a woman comes in the room, breaks open, and pours out the contents of an alabaster box. We've read that in in um, Matthew, Mark, and John. You may say, well, we're reading about it in Luke too. Indeed we are, but it's a different account. You can't tie this one with the other three. And I'm getting ready to show you why in a minute. 
This is a different account altogether. Happened in a different place at a different time. And for a different reason, I might add. In in culture, there is something known as etiquette. Etiquette is defined as the rules indicating the proper and polite way to behave. That's etiquette. How many have ever heard that word? Sure. Etiquette is the rules indicating the proper and polite way to behave. It is also the conduct or procedure required by good breeding or prescribed by authority to be observed in a social or official life. It's the right way to do things, especially in certain situations. Adequate. And then there's another word that came to mind, and that's the word protocol. Protocol is a system of rules that explain the correct conduct and procedures to be followed in formal situations. Protocol. Now, I have with me this morning two books, two volumes out of my personal library. I've had these probably... 30 to 40 years, these books. One of them is entitled Manners and Customs of Bible Lands. The other one is entitled Manners and Customs of the Bible. (laughs) So they're very nearly the same. The purpose is. I'd like to go back into these two volumes and share with you just a couple of things I think will will help us in our understanding today. Manners and customs of the Bible lands. Here is a whole chapter. Chapter 7. A whole chapter entitled, The Sacred Duty of Hospitality. Can you imagine a whole chapter being given to a book about Bible days? about the sacred duty of hospitality. And it talks about how when when you go into a house, what you're supposed to do and what they're supposed to do. And it talks about bowing and greeting and kissing the guest and washing the feet and anointing the head with oil. All these things we read about in scripture that don't make any sense to us. Sounds kind of strange and kind of weird. Actually, what we're talking about when we read those things is for that culture. And in that time, we're talking about adequate and protocol. There was an accepted and a right way to do things. Now, in this passage that we're about to read, we're going to find out that this passage is is um, colored... The reason we even have this passage is because this man who should have known better didn't follow etiquette and protocol. We're going to read that in just a few moments. In this other book, Manners and Customs of the Bible, here's a little section on anointing guests. Anointing was an ancient custom practiced by the Egyptians and afterward by the Greeks and Romans and other nations. Olive oil was used. Either pure or mixed with fragrant and costly spices, often brought from a long distance. The practice was in use not only as a part of the ceremony in conjunction with the current 
connection with the coronation of kings and at the installation of the high priest, but as an act of courtesy and hospitality toward a guest. Thus the Lord accuses Simon of want of hospitality in neglecting to anoint the head of him whom he had invited to eat with him. The passage that we're about to read. Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 36. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn there. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who was touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I love that. But notice the Bible says this man. No, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. You ever talk to yourself? So I don't think this necessarily was something that he said out loud. He didn't make this pronouncement. He didn't take his glass and hit it with a spoon to get everybody's attention. Say, everybody, listen, listen. I think if this man were really a prophet, he'd know who this woman is. No, I think this man just had this thought in his mind. He said this to himself. And Jesus knew what he was thinking. Jesus knew what he was saying to himself. So this man hears Jesus say, hears Jesus say, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. And then Jesus follows with this. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, let's stop just a minute. After all that's been been explained and what we've read thus far, he's been invited to the Pharisee's house for a dinner. The Pharisee is calling into question who he is as far as what he's heard about this man. He's probably there to begin with for the Pharisee to try to catch him in a trap. That's usually what they're trying to do in the New Testament. And this Pharisee is thinking to himself, now if he, if he was really a man of God, if he was really a prophet, he would know this woman. He would know what kind of woman she is and he would not let her touch him. And then Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
Say on, that he said. And there's a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed a lot, one not much. He forgave them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon says, I suppose the one who he forgave more. You've rightly judged, the Lord said. Now I want you to listen for the rest of what Jesus had to say. Because it explains what's happening in this passage. Jesus said, do you see this woman? Do you see her, Simon? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet. Since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet. With fragrant oil. In other words this woman has done everything that you should have done. Being the host and inviting me to your house. That was adequate. That was protocol. His motives were not good. Jesus calls him out. He says therefore I say to you. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And to those who sat at the table with him, they began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A passage of scripture that sounds in a lot of ways very like the first three we read. But actually, it's very different. Very different. If you would notice on your sheet, I want to read that summary right quick again. The context shows that Jesus is in the region of Galilee. Jesus is in the region of Galilee. Well, I have a laser printer, a pointer somewhere, and I don't know what I've done with it, Mo. I had it in my pocket. I even tested it. There it is. You'll understand as you get older. All right, I'd like for somebody to tell me, if you would... The first three passages that we read where the lady broke open the alabaster box or the flask and poured the oil on the head or the feet of Jesus. Where did those passages take place? Bethany. You'll see Bethany right here. That dot right there is Bethany. Here's Jerusalem. There's Bethany. Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. And here's Bethlehem down here. It's about six miles from Jerusalem. So you know about where we're located now. That's where that took place. Now the last passage that we read, where did it take place? In the region of Galilee. We know that because we can go back just a few verses in that chapter and read where Jesus was in Nain. N-A-I-N. Now where is Nain? You probably can't read it, but there it is right there. There's Nain. There's the Sea of Galilee. There's Cana. The other, all this region in here. 
And if you look at this passage from chapter 6, 7, and 8, everything that happens right in here is in this region around Galilee. Right in there. Now, that's about 80 miles from Jerusalem, or I should use uh, Bethany, I guess. About 80 miles from Bethany all the way up there to Nain. That's a pretty fur piece if you're walking, right? And the Bible tells us clearly that's where he is. He's in the region of Galilee. He's not in the house of Simon the leper. He's in the house of a Pharisee this time. And he's invited. And other than that, something else that's really interesting is it's not two days to Passover or even six days to Passover we're way back early in the in the life of Jesus when he's ministering to people probably a year or two earlier where this happened. So it happened in a different house, in a different city, at a different time. And we can learn that by reading the scripture. But what's even more significant to me than that is the motives of the woman who came in. And poured the alabaster box on him on this occasion. What was her motive? I'll submit to you that she had heard of Jesus. Maybe had met Jesus. Maybe had talked to him. She had had some type of connection with Jesus and recognized who he was. And she went in where they were having dinner and performed this act that was considered extravagant by the Pharisee. I mean, this is really over the top. If you had known who she was, you wouldn't allow this to happen. And Jesus said, this is really what you should have been doing. Because etiquette and protocol in that culture was when you went to somebody's house and you took off your sandals that you had been wearing and your feet were dirty. You always, if they, if they didn't bow down and wash your feet, they at least gave you a basin and a towel so you could wash your own feet. Pharisee didn't do that. You would go, like you see on the news today, you see this often. You see it on the news in, in, other parts of the world where when two leaders come together you ever see them kiss now they don't kiss each other on the lips you understand that they go on either side of the head they go about like that it's a custom now it always has been a custom in those regions of the world you greet each other with a kiss Sometimes we struggled over the years with a scripture that says, greet each other, uh, brethren, greet each other with a holy kiss. That's not a kiss like we think of a kiss. It's the, it's the custom that they had where they would, it's like kiss the cheek or kiss the air near the cheek on each side of the person. So the Pharisee did not provide water. For Jesus to wash his feet. He did not kiss him. And he did not anoint his head with oil. Now maybe we need to talk just a little bit about that. Because that's an important thing too. Even if you walk from Jerusalem to Bethany. Which is two miles. You're going to end up with dirty feet. 
being hot and sweaty. So you'd like to clean up just a little bit. You'd like to be able to sit down and, and eat and visit without being offensive, if you know what I mean. And so you would, you would anoint, you'd be able to freshen up a bit, we would say. Wash your feet. Anoint your head with oil. I would liken that to being like a um, little cologne or a little perfume, that type of thing. Just, just freshen up just a little bit. So you wouldn't be offensive to the people that you knew. It was the way they did things in that culture. It was etiquette. It was protocol. It's just, this book of history explains that. And Jesus says, when I came in, you didn't do any of these things for me. But this woman who was standing out in the yard there, who looked in and saw you and came in and did for me what you did not do. And you think this is out of order. And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you, she's nailed it. She's done exactly what she was supposed to do. What the Pharisee thought was extravagant, Jesus thought was beautiful and appropriate. Can I share with you that when it comes to worship, you talk about the woman in the first three accounts that we read, three passages, she comes and breaks this alabaster box two days before Jesus is to be crucified. And she does it with his burial in mind. And Jesus says, this is going to be a memorial for you from now on. Whenever this is told, people will know how you blessed me. And you, you gave this sign, this act of worship to me. And then you turn to the other passage and you'll see how this woman who had been forgiven much. Anybody in here been forgiven of much? This woman who had been forgiven of much wanted to do for Jesus what was proper and right. To bow before him. To anoint his head with oil. Wash his feet. And Jesus commended her for doing that. Were there people in the first set of circumstances in Bethany? Were there people there who thought that was over the top and extravagant? Yeah. In the second example, up in Galilee, was there anybody who thought that was over the top and unnecessary and out of order? Yes. And both times, Jesus says, they were exactly right in what they did. Both of them, it was a little strange. It was a little out of the ordinary. I can go back in my life over the years, and I can remember times when people, for instance, would, would get up sobbing, sobbing because of the sin in their lives and come and bow down at an altar. And they didn't care what everybody else thought. All they knew was they needed a Savior. And they felt the convicting power of the Holy Ghost on their life. And they knew they had to get right with God. And it didn't matter. If they wept and they moaned and they groaned and it got loud, who cares? If their eyeshadow and their makeup ran, who cares? It was irrelevant. It didn't matter. 
I've seen people weep and moan and, 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 and travail and cry out to God. And some people might have thought, well, that's just unnecessary. No, it's not unnecessary if you need a cleansing. And you want to pour out your heart to the Lord. And he hears people who are earnest hearted. And may I say to you, we should not criticize somebody who pours out their heart to the Lord. We need to learn to zip it up and keep our mouth shut. If somebody is making an effort to draw near to the Lord and pour out their hearts before him, we've got nothing to say about it. Amen? Because it may not be exaggerated. It may be something that says, I wish everybody else would do that too. I wish they'd humble themselves and get on their knees. I wish they'd cry out to me. I wish they'd be willing to shed tears instead of try to hide them. I wish they'd be willing to stand and lift their hands and worship. I wish they'd shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. I wish they'd clap their hands. I wish they would get happy sometimes and show it, not just talk about it. Maybe the Lord is waiting for that because he loves genuine, real praise that comes from our heart. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I think God's probably tired of us paddocking and play in church and just going through the motions. He wants us to get real with him. Wow. Protocol is doing what's right. According to the rules that have been laid down. I think it would be a good exercise for all of us to get into the word of God and see how worship is expressed there and then determine we'll never open our mouth for anybody who wants to obey the word of the Lord. Amen. We are, we are, I, most of all, you, you all know me. I, I've been here 22 years. You know me. I like order. I like things to be right. I don't like confusion. Matter of fact, I'm not going to tolerate confusion. We want things to be right, but I'm going to tell you what, we want, we want God's presence working among us in whatever way He wants to bless people and however their lives can be transformed. We need more than what we're allowing the Lord to do for us. And we've got to be hungry. Hadn't even thought about that one before. They went to dinner. He was invited to dinner. You go to dinner because you're hungry, right? We need to be hungry. There's a song we used to sing. It says, Lord, I'm hungry. If our musicians would come. I'm not switching songs on you, so don't get nervous. <laughs> song says, Lord, I'm hungry for a mighty move of God. Lord, I'm thirsty. Pour out your Holy Ghost. We need to be hungry, not, not satisfied, not going through the motions, not playing church, not just hoping we're right with God, but we need to be so in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ, walking with him daily, where we can say like Paul did, as we open the service today, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Can you say, I don't, I don't want you to say it, but I'm, I'm asking a question. Can, can you say honestly, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the Lord. I'm not ashamed for people to know I'm a Christian. Amen. 
I'm not ashamed for people to know I'm born again. I'm not ashamed for people to know I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm not ashamed to let people know that I cry sometimes when I worship. I'm not ashamed to let people know I'll lift my hands and worship to the Lord. I'm not ashamed to let people, to let the Lord know even if I don't feel like it, I'll offer a sacrifice of praise and send it up to Him. Listen, it doesn't matter what you do. There's going to be somebody standing around who might say, well, I think that's just a little bit exaggerated. Well, why do you care what they think? If you're worshiping the Lord and surrendering your life to Him, why would you care? I'd like for you to stand with me as we sing this, please.
about to sing another song that talks about worship. And as we sing this, Roy, if you would step in and tell uh, Tim that we're about to have prayer. He wanted to come out. And if you would, um, if, if you would don't mind coming forward while we sing this next song and we're going to gather around the altar. We have some who need prayer and we're going to be um, praying for them. We'll pray for your need too if you have one. But if you don't have a need, if you would just come and join us as we stand here and pray together in closing in just a few moments. I give all my worship to Before we pray, in James chapter 5, I'm reading from the Word of God now. Is is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
And so today, I hold in my hand this little bottle of oil. We use it in our church and have for years to anoint people just like we've read here. Now, we don't do it quite like the woman did. We don't use a pound and pour it on somebody's head. We just take a bit. The answer to prayer comes because of our obedience and our faith, not because of the oil. But we we do what the Bible says. We're a Bible-believing church, right? Yes. I haven't seen anything in Scripture that said to change this or not do it anymore. I just read it like it says. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. So we're going to do that today. Tim, Tim, if you would step here right up against the altar. Uh, As you can see that Tim has his right hand bandaged up. He's a builder. And a week or so ago, all but cut his finger off with a saw. And he's had surgery just Friday. They've attached it. But much of the cartilage in that joint is gone. The saw blade just ate it up. And he's told that if that cartilage doesn't grow back in the next, what, two weeks? If it doesn't show signs of growing back some that they're going to go back in and do another surgery and take that out and put an artificial um, cartilage in there. So, Tim has asked for prayer. He's done what the scripture says. He's asked for prayer that we would pray that the, the Lord would stimulate that finger and let that cartilage grow back and he can get back to normal. Now, I'm going to say this. If there's anybody else here, along with Tim, that would like to be anointed, and prayed for, I'd like for you two to step right up to the altar. And we're going to do this in just a moment. So, David, buddy, it's good to see you today. Yes. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Just a few days ago, this man had brain surgery. And we were praying for him. Yes. And um, is your eye showing signs of getting better? He's, he's got still, as a result of the surgery and the, the tumor that he had, some problems with an eye is not as clear as we'd like for it to be. So we're going to pray that the Lord will. Oh, it's awesome to see you today. <laughs> Just step right on up. Anybody else? Okay, come right up. Sylvia, Francis, Harold as well, and Alicia. Okay. Leslie. do that. I'd like for um, our ministers who are here, if you would, to to move around here in front with me. If you would, would you help us with Billy and um, my dad and Tim? Come right here. And then I'd like for as many as of you will to just join close as you can. Just just lay hands on these. Uh, why are we doing this? We're doing this because the Bible says this is what we're supposed to do. Okay? We believe the Lord, right? Let's start with Leslie here and move down the line. 
Lord, in obedience to your holy word, we anoint with oil Leslie today who's standing in behalf of this gentleman. Lord, I don't know him. I, I don't know who this is, but you do. And I pray today in the name of Jesus that you would minister to this brother and his family. I pray, Lord God, that you would would infuse his mind and his heart with the love of God. Help them, Lord, to do what you've called them to do, to minister to him, to help him think clearly, to help him respond to your love. Oh, Lord, draw him unto yourself and do what you need to do in his life. Lord, I pray for him today that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in his life. Lord, help him to do nothing foolish. Help him, Lord, to submit his life to you and do things your way, to follow the word of God, to be led by the Holy Spirit, minister to him, give him a willing heart, a submissive heart, a yielded spirit. Lord, to you we pray. You're a God who is able. Minister to this man and his family. Work a miracle. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Sylvia. Sylvia loves the Lord and needs a touch today. Right? This is for you physically. Lord, we anoint with oil and we pray today for Sylvia. Lord, she loves you and we know that you're a God that loves her. You're a healer and you're able. So I pray that you would minister to her. Oh, Lord, you know the, the physical impairments that she's dealing with. And you're a God that is able. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would minister your love and your mercy, your grace, and your healing touch to Sylvia today. We ask in faith, we believe that you will minister and move and meet this need. You're an awesome God. Touch my sister, I pray. In Jesus' name, let it be done. Let it be done. Blessed be your name. Lord, thank you for David today and for his love and his commitment to you. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in his life. You watched over him during his surgery. Lord, this church and others were praying. And we thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And we just pray, Lord, that you would minister to his eyes. Lord, any symptoms he's having as a result of this surgery that shouldn't be there, we pray, Lord, you take them away. Lord, repair the nerve damage, the the uh, the reason for his eyesight being impaired. Lord, just fix it. You're able to do it. And Lord, we thank you today that you're a faithful God. Meet this need. Lord, it's in obedience to you and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we do this today. You say we have not because we ask not. Well, today we ask boldly and we ask in faith. Meet this need, we pray. Bless this family. Touch them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name. Your request, sister. great shepherd and your word says that your sheep are known by you and your sheep hear your voice lord my sister loves you she's seeking for guidance and direction 
She wants to be yielded to you, to be used by you, to be led by the Spirit of God, to be filled with the Spirit. Oh, Lord, to be to be effective in working for you. So I pray, Lord, that you would minister to her. You see the willing heart, the desire that she has. You're a God who is able. Meet this need today, we pray. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would... You cause the will of God to be done in her life in every way and meet her need. Oh, Lord, we know that what we're asking for is in accordance with the will of God today. And we count it as done in Jesus' name. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Tim's faith today. Lord, he loves you with all of his heart. I know that. And I pray that you'd minister to him. Lord, having had this surgery, this accident, I know that you're a God that's able to give healing to this finger. And I pray, Lord, that you'd cause it to heal. Oh, Lord, minister to him. Let things happen that would astound us all. Lord, in the way this thing recovers, in the way that it heals, you're a God that is able. So we're asking that you would minister to this need and touch Tim's life. Bless his family, his home, every need that he has. You're an awesome God. And we look to you for healing and help today. We thank you, Lord. Our prayers are heard. And we have faith and confidence in you. Blessed be your name. Let it be done. In accordance with the will of God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, Francis has been ill for some time now, struggling. Whatever's wrong, we pray, Lord, that you would make it right in her body. Her breathing, her ability to function, it's all been affected by this, and you're a God who is able. Inasmuch as there are upcoming tests and procedures, I pray, Lord, that you would use this. I pray, Lord, that you would give clarity to what the problem is. And, and as we pray and believe, and as the doctors do what they'll be doing, Lord, may it bring healing and health to her body. Minister to her, we pray. You're a healer. We know it's true. We've experienced it. Most all of us have experienced it. And we thank you for that. So I plead the blood of Jesus today over her life and ask you to minister a healing touch. I believe it, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Meet this need, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Alicia's mother is in the hospital, not doing well. She's elderly and took a fall and is very bruised up and battered. And Alicia would like for us to pray for her mother and for the entire family. Here's a family that needs Jesus. And uh, that's our primary concern. We believe God. We know this is the will of God, right? right? You don't even have to wonder about this one. He wants us to come to him. Lord Jesus... I pray, Lord, that you would minister to Alicia's mother. 
What a privilege, Lord, to be with her in the hospital one day this week and meet her. And I just pray, Lord, that you would touch her and minister healing to her body, soul, mind, and spirit. And Lord, to all the family members, every one of them, Lord, who does not know you as Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that the process of revival in this family would begin right now, here in this place, at this very moment. Lord, that you'd begin to open their eyes and speak to their hearts and draw them into yourself. You're a God who is able. We thank you. Minister to these needs, Lord. This family, such a beautiful family. Oh, Lord, draw them into yourself. Save them before it's too late, we pray. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Stay in place here as we have another couple of needs I want us to pray for. Most of you know that um, Ron and Linda Bomar have a son named Michael with brain cancer. Michael is in now is in hospice as of this week. Um, I think I mentioned to you last week that um, the Bomars were hurting. You can see it for months now. And Linda texted me yesterday and she said they've told us that Michael has maybe two days, maybe a week. And she said, I just don't think as emotional as I am right now, I could come sit in church tomorrow. And I said, I understand that. But you know what? We're going to lift that family in prayer, aren't we? And ask God to bring them peace and comfort and to minister to Ron and Linda. Just a peace that passeth all understanding. So if you would, just lift them right now to the Lord, would you, in prayer? Lord, we pray for our brother and our sister that we love so dearly. Ron and Linda, Lord, Ron has preached the gospel and shared the word and and been in situations many times when he ministered to other people who were hurting. Now he's hurting and his wife, this family is suffering. And Lord, I pray that you would minister to them. Minister to them grace and peace. Lord, somehow fulfill the word of God where it says a peace that passeth all understanding. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint them with that kind of peace that goes beyond the ability to even dream it could happen. But Lord, just just so envelop them with your love and your grace and your mercy that they feel the love and they feel the presence of God and they feel the healing touch. Lord, as you minister to their minds and hearts and souls during this very difficult time, you're a God who is able. Touch them and bless them, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now we'll receive prayer requests. Um, in general, I'll just start to my left here and we'll go across the front. Anybody who has needs, you want to share? Robert Wall needs prayer, one of our... Seniors who joins us occasionally. I'm sorry. Your mother-in-law's knee. Yes, very early. Jean. Let's remember Jean. I'm sorry. Who? Pat Joyner. Okay. Cheryl. Lost loved ones. Your daughters, okay. I have a 
co-worker whose husband passed away a couple weeks ago. Don't know the details, but he was like in the 40s, so it seemed like he was in good health. So. Right. Okay. Okay. My husband and his relationship with God. Okay. Okay. All right. Amen. Amen. Dad's been miserable for several weeks now, and he feels like a new man now. <laughs> Amen. That's what prayer will do. That's what prayer will do. Amen. God's faithful. You know what? Just the Bible says they asked Jesus, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus responded by saying, when you pray, say, everybody in this room can pray. You don't, don't leave it to the pastor to pray. Other people pray. You pray. You open your mouth and say what it is that's on your heart. Let's join together. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning understanding that there's not a need that we have you're unaware of. But in order for us to understand and know what the needs are, we share them here. Now we lift them up to you. We pray that you would minister to each of these whose names have been called. You're a faithful God, a wonderful Lord, and we love you. Lord, you're, you're able to save those who are lost. Several requests dealt with that. People who don't know you. Lord, we're asking that you would send the presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to convict the hearts and lives of those who don't know you. I pray, Lord, that you would remove the blinders from their eyes, soften their hearts, woo them unto yourself, draw them to you, help them to see the need of a Savior and say yes before it's eternally too late. And then, Lord, for those who have physical needs, yes, we are a needy people. Our needs are great and many. And we're asking, Lord, for you to show yourself strong and mighty as the healer in our midst today. Oh, Lord, you still do that. I believe it with all my heart. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So heal, bless, save, and minister to these needs, I pray. How I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is our God sing with me how great is our God all will see how
above all names. Name above all names. And worthy of our praise. Worthy of our praise. My heart, my heart will see how great is our God. Alright, as our closing course, let's sing this like we mean it. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. All will see how great, how great is our God. How great is our God. Sing Thank you for joining us today. We'll do this again next Sunday, 10 o'clock.